hello to everyone. I'm Lori Gamino, and I serve as the chair of the Trauma Center Association of America's Injury Prevention Committee. I am the injury preventionist from the OU Health, University of Oklahoma, Level 1 Adult, and Oklahoma Children's Hospital Level 1 Pediatric Trauma Centers. All trauma centers verified by the American College of Surgeons are required to work and advocate for injury prevention. At Level 1 Trauma Centers, the injury prevention, or IP, professional must be separate from the trauma program manager with a job description and salary support. In Level 2, 3, and 4 centers, this position may be filled by a trauma program manager with IP a part of his or her job description but only if IP work does not negatively affect the trauma program manager's work. Today, we are joined by two injury preventionists, one from a level one trauma center and one from a level three center. We're looking forward to learning about how they each tackle the job of injury prevention and how COVID-19 has affected their work. Lindsay and Megan, would you like to please introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name is Lindsay Bailey. Thank you for the introduction. Um, and I am the Injury Prevention Coordinator for UNC Health in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, and I do the injury prevention work for both our level one trauma center for adults, and we also have a level one trauma center for pediatrics. Okay, great. And Megan? My name is Megan Carroll, and I am the trauma program manager at an ACS verified level three trauma center in California called Marin Health Medical Center. I serve as both the TPM and injury prevention coordinator, and I also do the PI and the education and the community outreach. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is a lot for one person. Well, Lindsay, I just wanted to start with you. Just the fact that you're in a level one trauma center, we know that your entire job is devoted to IP efforts. Would you please describe some of the challenges you face and also the advantages in your position? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, we are lucky in that um, my sole, not sole responsibility, but my job focus is to do primary um, and secondary prevention programming for both adults and pediatric patient or patient audiences. Um, you know, one of the challenges is absolutely um, funding. I think that anyone is going to tell you that. We, you know, have very uh, little um, costs that aren't grant funded. So to do all the programming that we want to do um, for all the different mechanisms of injury that we'd like to address, you know, we have a lot of time that I spend is, you know, looking for requests for proposals, looking for funding opportunities, writing the grants, managing the grants, and, you know, reporting. Um, so that's definitely a challenge, but it's also um, really fun. I enjoy, you know, the challenge of writing grant applications, and it's always really exciting when you get one. So that I enjoy for sure. UNC Health is a pretty large healthcare system if you're not familiar with us. So it does open a lot of doors when I, you know, just talking about being with the UNC Trauma Center, 
um, because people recognize the name, especially in UNC Chapel Hill, the university, um, you know, people recognize that name for sure. So we have a pretty big reach in the community, which gives us, so it gives me access to a large network of partners or potential partners. And when I started, I've been in this role for about three and a half years. Um, I already had really great groundwork laid for me for through the Safe Kids coalitions. So I'm the court, part of my role is being the Safe Kids coordinator for both Orange County and Chatham County. So there are two large counties um, next to each other and uh, Chapel Hill Hospitals is in um, Orange County, but we're right on the border of Chatham. So those are kind of like our main communities where we get a lot of patients from. And we already had a great network um, in place and I've been able to you know, make connections that way that have also segued into adult trauma uh, prevention programs such as falls prevention. We worked with the fire departments and worked with social services and the aging center. Um, so it's definitely given me the opportunity to connect with so many different services and agencies when we're all trying to look at these upstream you know, causes of injury. Um, and all kind of working towards the same, same, same thing. So yeah, that's, that's been awesome. And, uh, it has led to a lot of cool, um, grant initiatives and partnerships. For example, we recently were able to replicate on a very small scale, something, um, uh, like a home safety program that was actually, uh, there was a published paper on it at, from Cincinnati Children's Hospital about providing home safety supplies to folks, um, with small children, such as baby gates and, Using that model, I wrote a small grant and was able to get our family visiting services through DSS, which is like one of our partners that we do gun safety work on and, and a lot of our programming. Um, they're one of our best outreach outlets to our community. Um, they're able to give their family visiting services about $2,000 worth, worth of um, supplies and things like that to deliver in the home. So while I can't you know, be the one to go and actually deliver all the programs, I'm able to work with <clears throat> other programs trying to help and support and sometimes find financing financial resources um, through grant funding or that I get access to as a hospital and also um, you know finding just ways to grow and connect um, even if injury prevention isn't their main focus there's usually some common ground that we can find I found that too um, mm -hmm. let me just ask you a couple questions on the safe kids I'm also the uh, coalition coordinator here for safe kids mm -hmm. okay, Metro or when you say for Orange and Chatham County, is that one coalition or is it two coalitions? It is actually two separate coalitions. They are, oh, wow. um, they have a whole different cast of characters and, you know, it's a very different communities. Orange County has Chapel Hill and Hillsborough. I live in Hillsborough, which is like the county seat. And um, we're a little bit smaller, but more densely populated. And then Chatham County is really large geographically. Um, growing right now, um, but has, you know, typically has been, you know, rural and there's uh, Siler City and Pittsburgh, are like the two main like towns and they're like 45 minutes apart from each other. No, that's an exaggeration. They're like 30 minutes apart from each other, depending on which way you go. And then, you know, it could take you like an hour and a half to drive from one side of the county to the other. So it's a lot of territory to cover, but not as many people, I guess. Um, okay, that's interesting. So, so you have separate meetings? Yeah, separate meetings, okay. separate, uh, you know, chairs and everything. And, but yeah. we try to come together yearly for our holiday lunch, because obviously there's, and I think it's always good to like, you know, introduce like the, you know, Chapel Hill or fire departments to like the Pittsburgh fire departments and like see if they can make connections. Um, but this year we won't be doing that because of COVID, but I have told everyone as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's always good for a party whenever it's safe. Yes. And I had a question too about, yeah. um, I love hearing about this home safety program. Was mm -hmm. this $1,000, was that a local grant or? 
What was that? It was, it was every year the North Carolina ATS puts out an injury prevention request for proposal um, for, so it's basically all the trauma centers in North Carolina. Um, they, there's $2,000 for like, 11, I think there's 11 or 12 of us injury prevention coordinators and we, you know, meet quarterly. Um, and we all get to compete for the same $2,000. So luckily I, I got, uh, my grant went through this year, but you know, every year another, you, you know, a different program gets funded and it's always, you know, always really cool stuff. So um, that was- So you got half the pot. Oh uh, yeah, well, it was, it, I got 2,000 out of 2,000. So it was a $2,000 grant and, but they only will pick like one person per year. Okay, oh, I see. Yes. Okay, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that, that's so interesting. It, I'm I'm glad to hear about you know funding and so on because that was mm -hmm. a, one of the that's a, a challenge I hear over and over again yeah. from everyone. Are all of your like your grants are all of them local or any of them national or? Um, our biggest grant that we have, you know, and I've grant funding. We are able to do a lot with a little because I think mostly um, because we have such great community partners. Biggest grant we have, sorry, is Buckle Up for Life, which is through, again, Cincinnati Children's Hospital has a really nice injury prevention center. Um, jealous of some of their resources. They do a lot of stuff and they've got a lot of injury prevention professionals on their team. And they have a partnership with Toyota. And I'm not exactly sure how that partnership works, but I know that uh, they do a yearly application um, process. And this year we got 70, so it wasn't a financial grant, but we got like 75 car seats, I think 45, I think the number was 45 convertibles and 35 backless boosters. So that was a huge uh, win for us because that's the most car seats or like, you know, financial, like amount of, of financial resources that I've uh, received since I started this um, and they actually have a larger like monetary grant um, that we're going to apply for this coming year. So I would encourage any injury prevention coordinators to uh, to look into the Buckle Up for Life grant um, and and see if you qualify for it because it's really and they have a lot of really you, videos and resources. It, did you? Yeah, that's wonderful. The car seat. Did you say that that is through the Children's Hospital? Yeah, it's. To be honest with you, I don't know exactly what the setup they have with Toyota is and how they, you know, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, they're funding like 50 other programs to do across the country to do uh, car seat safety. So I don't know how that works exactly, but you can go to, it's buckleupforlife.org and they've got different levels of partnership and grant applicants. We are on the level where we receive the car seats, not money. And then there's a higher level where you can get car seats and actual money that can like support a little bit of effort. You said that they have an IP team. Is this your level one trauma center children's? No, ma'am. So, so oh, okay. I, this is through Cincinnati children's and they oh, are, Cincinnati. okay. I yeah. Sorry. It's okay. No, they have, uh, so they, I don't know how they have Cincinnati children's hospital. I'm looking at their website in partnership with Toyota. They provide this program nationwide. And I think they accept like okay. 50 different, 50 different applicants a year. Um, okay. but I I yeah, yeah, they, um, we unfortunately, they have, if you ever look at their website, they've got like multiple injury prevention coordinators and there's like a man program manager, program director, but it's, it's just me at UNC. <laughs> okay. So you're a department of one for both the adult and pediatric. Yes, ma'am. That is correct. That's what I am too. I oh know. yeah. So, right. Yeah. Um, I, un I understand. The, the funding issue oh, yeah. is, is a lack of funding or, you know, 
everyone kind of competing for the same funding resources is really amplified in the adult world. Um, children, money for children's programming is a little bit easier to find. Can identify with you also as far as community partnerships and with our reputation in the community and so on, it does open doors. And so yes. I do understand that, but having two separate Safe Kids Coalition, that, that is a challenge just, you know, I mean, that's, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, it's enjoyable. And like I said, it, it, the more, I found mm -hmm. that the more partners that you build, the easier your work becomes in some ways, because then it's it's easy to identify who's going to be the best partner for which um, which initiative and who's going to be able to get the work done and kind of flow, like try to flow it into their what they're already doing. So it's not just a completely new out of the box program. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, Megan, as the trauma program manager in Marin County there, how much time do you have to devote to injury prevention? Um, I try uh, to at least do eight hours a week, um, but it changes depending on our volume. And um, similar to how you guys run your programs, I utilize other people mm -hmm. more than me actually doing everything myself. I just don't, I can't yeah. do that. So I, well, we have, um, we work really closely with our EMS agency and our, um, it's called MMRC, it's called Marin um, Medical Reserve Corps. And so we, we utilize them to do our Stop the Bleed program. And then we also, our county is uh, an EMSC county, so an EMS for Children County. And so we also, within our county have three hospitals and so I try to leverage our that to um, do pediatric safety um, and so we just got the P, the EMSC and so I'm trying to bring safe kids to this county um, but we don't have anybody that would actually be dedicated like we don't qualify to meet their requirements so we need to find somebody within our county that is doing that already um, to hopefully get that started. Um, and then for our, for our adults, we do, or in our teens and adults, we do, uh, we do impact teen driving. So we do that with the high schools and, um, right when COVID started, we were supposed to do it, but then COVID happened. And so we had to put that on the back burner. Um, and then we, so we did virtual classes with them. And we didn't really get that great of an outcome. We had some, but it wasn't it wasn't that um, great of an outcome, a turnout. I mean, yeah. and then yeah. um, for our for our older adults, we do matter of balance, but we contract somebody in to do so many hours. But I, like everybody was saying, I, we don't. I don't have a budget, and I also then don't have enough time to dedicate to writing grants. So I usually try to find somebody in the community that is writing a grant and try to piggyback on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I understand that. That's, it seems like um, we're all in the same boat. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's, that's really the grassroots coalition. There's so much strength in that and so much passion and, and dedication from people who are working in, you know, each, each of their own backyards and, you know, from the safety council and everyone. So I, I do enjoy that. And and then we're able to help them. And lots of times 
I mean, we're, they're, they're able to help us, and then often they're, we're able to help them at their events, too. So it goes both ways, and I, I really enjoy that. I'm really a proponent of helping each other out. Like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. I can give this to you. Can you help me? And mm-hmm. we can do this together. And so we both can, you know, claim certain things for whatever we need to do. Yes. I I, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a huge strength. When you talked about your patient volumes, does that depend on in different times of the year, or is there any any trends in your area? Of yeah, um, well, so COVID did not decrease our volume at all. Our volume actually increased, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, different from what other centers were reporting. But we our majority is geriatric falls, so that happens like all year round. But I would say uh, winter we get. Um, a lot more falls from height, a lot of people doing their Christmas decorating. Yes. And then in the summer, we get a lot of uh, bicycle crashes and um, more uh, pediatric trauma. And then our proximity to the Golden Gate Bridge, if somebody is to jump and they do survive, they will come to us. So okay. it depends on the weather, really. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Well, Lindsay, I was, you know, we're at I'm in the middle of the country, you're on the east, and Megan's on the west. What What are your top mechanisms of injury at your trauma center, Lindsay? We have um, pretty much the same top mechanisms of injury for adult and pediatrics, but of course they're the cause and the prevention tactics are very different. So falls are, are absolutely our number one mechanism of injury. We have um, a very large and growing uh, senior population in this area. People like to retire in North Carolina. So um, Orange and Chatham County in particular are like growing aging in place communities. So um, we have a lot of senior falls. Um, and then of course, pediatric falls too, or, you know, the number one reason that we see children is falling, um, you, you know, usually just, you know, things like uh, parents walking down the stairs with their babies, a baby in their arms and they fall or the child just, you know, kind of that, you know, children at play or, um, you know, some of it's, some of it I'd say is preventable. I mean, you know, supervision is always key with kids, of course, but, you know, sometimes it is just, just kids being kids. Um, and then also, um, for adult and kids is motor vehicle crashes is our second top mechanism of injury, but definitely, you know, the more severe of the two. So we do a lot of work around, um, motor vehicle safety for all ages and then, you know, we try to look at our top three for each and gunshot wounds and assault um, kind of go back and forth on that third mechanism of injury. And um, for children, it's usually maybe something um, like assault or, you know, intentional violence. And this year, sadly, with COVID, we have seen a pretty large jump in the number of children in gunshot wounds. It has oh dear. been kind of uh, scary to see. But... but- that the child found the gun themselves? Is that what you're both, talking about? Both. We've had drive-by shootings uh, where I'm, I, I did, we went back and forth, you know, about are these intentional or are they coded as unintentional because they're, you know, I don't think the child, I hope, was not the one that was, it was targeted at, but they were accidentally shot with someone who was intentionally shooting. And uh, also, right. yes, an incident, and I can speak about this without concern about HIPAA because there was a newspaper article about um, a family where a small child unfortunately did get a hold of their family's firearm, which was actually just sitting on like a, I think they were being babysat, sitting on a, a tabletop and the two-year-old was able mm-hmm. to up there and it did not have a pretty ending. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So firearm storage is 
is so important. It's interesting, Lindsay, because here in Oklahoma, falls and MVCs are number one and two for both our adults and peds too. So we have that in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, Megan, what are, you, what are your top mechanisms of injury? Definitely our um, older adult falls, it's like over 50%. Uh, then we have motor vehicle crashes and then our bicycle accidents. Our penetrating trauma is um, pretty low. I mean, it's mm-hmm. increasing, but it's still pretty low compared to other trauma centers. And then for pediatrics, it's um, I actually haven't ran it pediatrics independently of adults, but Okay. Maybe, probably, I would say motor vehicle crashes, like teen mm-hmm. teen driving. Same here. I like Megan. I like that you all have done the um the teen safe driving stuff at the high schools. I think that we used to do that, and then it sort of like phased out like around before the time I started. So I've been was wanting to get back into doing that and get us back there, and then COVID hit. So there's really not been yeah. at the schools. COVID kind of pretty put a halt on pretty much all of the injury prevention. Uh, it's It's been a real challenge. Now, both of you all do the Matter Balance program, I know. And I was just wondering, um, like Lindsay, for example, how many teachers and classes and just the whole thing? How do you schedule sure. them? Where are, they, where are they offered? Okay, so with a Matter Balance, um, my strategy was to actually become a master trainer, which is when you can train the trainer or train the coach because they're called, you know, a matter balance coaches when you deliver the program. So uh-huh. I did, I think it's been about two years now. I think it was two Novembers ago. I did the, ma- the matter balance master trainer program. And I had never even, I had never been a coach before either. So you can knock that out in one training. Um, and we've got um, some trainers of master trainers in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is about two hours from me. Um, so I was fortunate I got to not go too far and and, and get trained. And I was, my idea was, because we actually have like a 10 county like trauma region. So mm-hmm. although I don't, you know, directly provide programming in each of those counties, I, you know, my goal was really to um, create infrastructure and train others to be able to lead the programs within their counties locally. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the best way plans don't always go the way you think. So I think I've trained at this point, probably about 35 to 40 people to actually do the class. I've done three sessions where I had, you know, they were pretty crowded. I don't charge for them, which I may have to rethink in the future, but um, it, you know, the thing, the one of the kind of downfalls that I laid for myself was Though they sign this like commitment that they'll, you know, if they go through the training for free, then, you know, a matter of balance provides us that they're, you know, going to deliver at least two classes within the year. And, you know, it's all, it's volunteer based or, you know, it's some like personal trainers will do it thinking they might want to, you know, offer it to their clients or whatnot, or you have turnover and like, you know, a, a council on aging or turnover in like the senior center. So you don't, I would say like, you know, the retention of the people actually delivering the class is, has been a lot lower than I was hoping. But that being said, um, so although I've had quite, trained quite a few people, I think overall, I probably have like, I think like seven really, well, before COVID, like active coaches. And then the ones that are most successful and put people that I want to focus on training are actually those who can be paid by like the, um, either like the, the AAAs, like our area agencies on aging who, who have the, fu- the financial mm-hmm. funding to provide a matter of balance 
or, um, you know, like the community, the senior centers or, um, you know, community centers where they're getting funding to pay coaches because we don't have the money. Mm -hmm. to, we don't have the ability to like, you know, send people out in the community and, and teach. And of course, um, because you have to have two matter balance trainers or coaches for each session, at least in the in-person format, I know things, there's changes coming um, in January for an online format. Um, I have, you know, taught a, a couple classes in partnership with one of the coaches that I've trained as well to be like the support there. So I do, I kind of like volunteer like UNC Trauma's time in kind to like whichever agency that is because I'm just, you know, getting, so we don't have to like, they don't have to pay me because um, I'm, you know, mm -hmm. time. so that has worked right. out well. Um, and I'm really looking forward to um, when a matter of balance, uh, you know, main health uh, rolls out the online platform. And, and I'm looking forward to trying to train new coaches to deliver it online. And also, you know, linking back up with coaches who may not have ended up being able to deliver the class and maybe seeing if an online format will make it easier for them. Maybe we'll get, get, get more participants overall. Right. Has it been well received? It is um, for the most part. I have like, I trained some um, community paramedics in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is a pretty popular uh, or populated um, town city, I guess a little bit South of us. And um they, I went down and as the matter of balance master trainer, I had to, you know, observe one of their classes and give the instructors feedback and they did such a good job. And those people I think loved it. And they have given me continuously as they've given, provided the class to different uh, assisted living places or um, independent living communities. They've given me great feedback. And, you know, I've, I've read like the surveys and the results. And for the most part, people seem to like it. I think one of the things that I know other matter of balance coaches and trainers um, have have we've not commiserated over but you know one of the challenges is people think they're coming for a workout class and you can advertise it over and over again that this is mm -hmm. a workout class this is like you know a whole program with like activities and like things to try and you know get you in the habit of exercising and people are still like I just want to do the exercise part and they're not able to play music while that you know that's part of the fidelity of the program is to not play music during the working work during the workout and people do not seem to like People do not like that, and myself included. But I understand. I understand the reasoning why. But it does make it a little dry, <laughs> and puts a lot of pressure right. on the coach to keep talking and be entertaining. <laughs> it is wonderful that you got that positive feedback though from those classes. Yes, that it is. That's it's great, and I'm hoping fun. that with uh, the online format that we can really expand our reach and it'll make it a lot less resource intensive to to put on. I think the mm -hmm. I think recruitment of participants might be challenged. And then for, for your older adults, you also have a driving safety program. Mm -hmm. And I try to combine those two as much as I can. Obviously, with a matter of balance, it's a, you know, there's fidelity to the program and you in, it's pretty structured. But with COVID, because we, you know, matter of balance, we couldn't do actually the program. I found myself doing a lot of falls prevention um, talks, like, you know, through like our, you know, departments on aging around here and like our senior centers and such have had a lot of like, you know, guest speaker opportunities. So I've done a lot of falls prevention talks and I'll try to combine it with um, older adult driving safety tips. And that is, if anyone is familiar with CarFit, that is a program specifically yeah. designed. Yeah. I, and I really like that program. That is uh -huh. super well received in our communities. And I had like six, I think, scheduled for the spring, which was probably a bit off more than I could chew there, but I was really excited. And of course they didn't happen, but so we tried to um, incorporate uh, some of those messages that CarFit gives 
into like, I made like a recorded presentation that I provided to those, those senior centers that were going, I was going to do the carpet mm -hmm. program so they could, you know, give it to their, and then I've done some live presentations. I partnered with an American, um, an occupational therapist, and we made some um, recorded presentations about older adult driving, how to have those conversations about when it's time to stop driving, and um, various and some other little topics there, um, and delivered it live and did recording. So that's been that's been a, a, a win. And but I'm very excited to have CarFit come back whenever it can. And I know that actually next week is Older Adult Driving Safety Awareness Week, and um, we're going to do a myself and my co counterpart, the person whose same job as me at Duke, which is like, if you're not familiar with the triangle area in North Carolina, it's like, we've got three level one trauma centers and like a 20 mile radius. We're going to do a video, like a little PSA video um, on this car fits uh, self assessment that they just published so that people can do it on their own. So I'm excited about that. Oh, that, that sounds really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. Megan, um, on your matter balance program, um, are you one of the master trainers or, and how many coaches do you have classes and where, where are your classes held? Um, so I am not a master trainer. Um, a part of our pro our program started maybe three years ago. Um, and I found our master trainer in one of our community outreach, um, kind of a seminars and I asked her if she would be interested in kind of leading our program and so she agreed to do that and she now is contracted by us and so she's our master trainer and um, from her she's taught me to be a coach as well as then same thing like Lindsay I mean I feel like we've taught 50 people how to be coaches but then they don't understand what that means, even though we've said it multiple times, this is what the expectation is, this is what it's all about. Yes, 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 this sounds great. When it actually comes down to it, a lot of people back out. So we have probably about seven, maybe less uh, coaches um, that we do. So in the beginning, we offered a lot more classes, but now... Uh, since we've had coaches leave and there's so much energy that goes into teaching all these coaches with um, not a lot of uh, return, we've just scaled back our classes for a year for a, a year. And we teach like, mm, let's say like three sessions, maybe four sessions. Um, and then uh, when COVID happened, we weren't doing any matter of balance classes, but we, um, our the master trainer she would host like zoom meetings not under matter of balance but she would just host mm -hmm. zoom meetings of past participants who wanted to continue to get together and as more of a social um kind of get together and then let's also practice our exercises and so mm -hmm. she does that every wednesday and that's been um really well received but I would say the same thing with Lindsay it's pretty hard to get the ball rolling and then kind of sustain it unless you have a really good group of people and um, I don't have any coaches that get paid through their organization we've tried to do that as well the area agencies on aging have like paid for time for like a couple they sent like a few people to one of my trainings and they pay for their time being trained and then they like pay for them to actually 
they have like the federal funding through like the American Community ACL yeah. Act. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's mm-hmm. been helpful. But yeah, I find, I mean, even though I know Better Balance was tra- was designed to be a lay leader model, which is great. Um, I think honestly, at the end of the day, you can count on people a lot more to follow through when there's, you know, it's part of their job when it's really built into their job. So I, I, yeah. I, I yeah. try to work with that angle. Yep. Yeah. The other thing I found, and I don't know if you could, Megan, tell me if you uh, have found this is a lot of people who teach maybe like exercise, like older adult exercise classes, and this is okay, but it, 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 I know with matter of balance and fidelity reasons, like they'll, they want to come in and learn the program and then they don't want to actually deliver it with the fidelity of the program, you know, is really about for, to get those intended out- outcomes. They want to, they just kind of use the information or, you know, use mm-hmm. it learned to incorporate it into their own programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, a lot of participants, like you said before, think they're going to come to a workout class and um, then they kind of get turned off by, you know, oh, we're not going to be doing any class, you know, exercises until further on into the program. And then they are like, well, I don't want to be here. Right. Okay. And one, one awesome positive person can make it such a good matter of balance workshop. Oh, and one- yes. One person can also equally bring it down. So it's just, yeah. it's, I feel for like class two, you can tell if like this is going to be a good one or not. Yeah. But as long as we get a couple I people had, to fall out of it, I'm always happy. Mm-hmm. I've had the same experience with Tai Chi moving for better balance here in Oklahoma City. And I really do wish that there was like some magical way to screen them better because, and to screen in those those ones who are going to be active and who are going to follow through and who are going to, you know, really be engaged because it is a huge time investment, you know, to have those classes and then have no one, you know, pick it up. Absolutely. Well, I know that um, as soon as I'm able to, I plan to do a coach training session online. So if anyone wants to participate or is listening or Megan, if you want to, I think the plan is they're supposed to do matter. Well, I guess you have a map, you have a master trainer that you work with, but I'm happy mm-hmm. to train any of our, my colleagues to do the online format. Once I have the, once I'm trained to train other people in the online format. Well, that would be great. If you just keep um, Christine in the loop, just keep TCAA in the loop and then she'll be able to send that out. Absolutely. <clears throat> okay. Now, I thought we'd talk about Stop the Bleed. I know that we're all busy with that or had been busy pre-COVID. Our program has totally shut down, and I don't know about yours, but um, how often were you offering classes, and, you know, how many how many trained instructors do you all have? We also aren't doing any Stop the Bleed um, uh, since COVID, but before COVID, we partnered with our EMS agency and the Office of Education, and so we would do like um, big uh, assemblies at high schools and middle schools. And so, how our structure would be just like a generic uh, go to an assembly, like a gym, and we would have um, like 50 kids and sometimes more, and then we'd uh, do our spiel or education, and uh, then we would break out into groups, and um, and then each each group would then do the hands-on part. 
for mm-hmm. our teachers, like I said, we we partnered with MMRC and as well as our EMS agency. So we have trained, um, we have a lot of probably 50 trained um, teachers or sets of lead instructors, I should say, um, to help with our large assembly-like structure. And then when we do, we did it in, um, we haven't done it in elementary school, but for middle school, we kind of changed the language a little bit to be a little bit um, softer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is received well in the high schools. And then we got a grant a couple of years ago that was able to put Stop the Bleed kits in every single class, high school classroom. Oh and so goodness. then our goal, yeah, our goal was then to do um, another grant to get uh, kits in all the middle schools. But that grant, we didn't get that grant, but that's still one of our goals that we do. Oh, that is a huge accomplishment. Where, where was that grant from? Grant was from the Bay Area Urban Area Security Initiative, and it was a Bay Area initiative. So it was um, our trauma center, along with four other trauma centers, that wrote the grant together, and we all we got the grant. And so each county, four other counties, distributed their kits within their county, and um, some went to schools, some went to parks and rec, some went to wherever they went. But we used ours to go into every high school. That is great. That is that's one of our goals too. How many um, people have been trying to stop the bleed from your program? Oh, I would say about two thousand. Oh wow, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah, we don't we don't do it like in a classroom setting. I've done one of I've done two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, like how it's. Uh, you know, everybody sits down and goes through the PowerPoint. We've only done two of those. The majority of our teaching is through the high school assemblies, as well as then we do, like I said, we partner with EMS. And so we um, tag team off of hands-only CPR. So when we do our community outreach with hands-only CPR in the community, we do stop the bleed as well. So we rapidly go through um different events like fairs and um, things like that. Okay. And have you had any patients arrive at your trauma center with a tourniquet? Yes. Okay. And it was, was it placed by someone? Not from, not from a civilian, not from like a... Oh, okay. A, yeah, nobody, nobody from the community had applied it. Only the EMS or police has applied it. Okay. Okay. I'm waiting for the day. I know, I know, too. <laughs> Lindsay, have you had any one arrive at your trauma center with a tourniquet from a community member? I think one of the, I don't want to say disadvantages because I'm fortunate that I have like the capacity to just focus on intervention. But my, I think one place where there is a disconnect sometimes in that kind of continuum of care is just, I'm not really in the ED and, and I work with my trauma team, direct colleagues, um, more like, you know, they'll get me the data that I need or I'll sit down in rounds, which are all virtual now sometimes and as much as I can. And, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a great situational awareness and it's actually something that I'm working on right now is to gain more great situational awareness of, of the, you know, the ins and outs of like, and are that kind of information. I, I just don't know, but I would imagine that we probably have 
had folks come in with a tourniquet, not from, not the, from a you know an EMS agency or or something like that, because we have done quite a bit of um, EMS training um, with Stop the Bleed. So I think probably most of our EMS agency folks are like, oh yes, I've already been trained. We probably everyone's probably heard enough about it, which is good. We <laughs> saturated them with the info. Do you know how many trained instructors you have? That I have had a difficulty finding tracking information for. I know that, so the way our Stop the Bleed has worked is, um, so with level one trauma center status, we have um, basically two trauma, we have to have two trauma programs, one for the adult, one for the pediatric. So we have two level one verifications and we have a nurse educator for both. And the nurse educator for the adult program is also, quote, the outreach coordinator. His name's Alex Carico, he's awesome, and one of my great coworkers. But he is also kind of the lead on the Stop to the Bleed, on the Stop, that role has been um, the kind of lead of Stop the Bleed since I've been here, um, again, like three and a half years. And it's actually funny, I became a, I got trained in Stop the Bleed on my very first day at UNC Health. Uh, well, besides orientation, we had a, our regional advisory committee meeting with, you know, all of our EMS, mm -hmm. members, you know, are kind of required to be there and right. they were doing a rack, you know, they were doing a, uh, that day at the rack meeting, they were doing a stop the bleed training. So it was mm -hmm. like, I was like, what did I have got? I'm having never done anything, any clinical work or anything like that. I'm, I'm a public health person. I was like, what have I gotten myself into? But it was <laughs> great to kind of start, um, start off with that in, that journey and kind of that different perspective. And mm -hmm. I know that our EMS agencies have been trained and then they have, we've, we bought, or I think we, I think we purchased, I don't think it was grant funded. I was a little bit before my time when we got them all these, you know, stop the bleed kits with like the dummies and the tourniquets and that we have a pretty healthy like program where people would check them out, like different agencies that we trained and then they could train others to, could check them out, pick them up and bring them back. But I could not find that data about how many we had done at the end of last year when Irwin last stopped. But I know we have, though I haven't, my, I was kind of like the liaison for the community. And for a while, Stop the Bleed, you know, was getting so much kind of, I want to say like, I know one day I was watching like national news and it was, it was on and, and right. in the community, we were getting a lot of attention around it. Um, I was starting to get right. requests for it and kind of, you know, working with our Alex, my outreach coordinator, and our admin coordinator who helps with these things to, to do like the scheduling of them in the community. But then of course that's all come to an end. But I do want to say that Alex and the nurse educator, I think for pediatrics have done some stop the bleeds for our hospital staff at, with COVID during COVID because they're, you know, at work anyway. They're, you know, our clinical staff. Mm -hmm. And before we would, we trained several teachers and several elementary school students and middle school students which was okay good. okay well that's wonderful i still remember back at our last um conference and mm -hmm. the person from las vegas had did not trust anyone else to teach it the injury <laughs> preventionist at one of the hospitals so she herself had taught ten thousand people Oof. i am still wow. shocked by that <laughs> because our educator office is right here too and she has worked so hard at this and and you know we're between 1500 and 2000 and it's it's a lot of work i have no idea how she did 10,000 uh, <laughs> still we, in awe about that 
it's, in how I, long I, of a period? Well, that was, um, let's see. I don't know, but it was two years ago. So when it came out to two years ago. And I just, I, wow, I don't even know what to say. I know. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Well, I, know. I um, it, it's interesting just that, um, but, but when I started from my, like my public health kind of like lens, um, I, you know, trauma was new to me. I, I got into this through like doing falls prevention with seniors and I was, mm-hmm. I don't understand why I was like, I'm not sure I get this program, but now I like, you know, I was like, I don't see how this isn't really primary prevention and stuff like that. But now I, as I started to instruct it and teach it and like get a better perspective on like trauma care and like the continuum of care, I really I really like teaching that program. So I really hope mm-hmm. to be, get back to it when we can. And I was disappointed. I mean, I totally understand why, but I wish that we could come up with like an online approved format from like the ACS so that we could mm-hmm. online. Cause I think it would be a cool offering, but obviously you're not able to do the hands-on piece or at least make sure that people are doing it correctly. If you're teaching online. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our, we've been to several gun clubs and we've been, there isn't any place we haven't been besides schools and um, just from here to there, you know, and then we also have classes open on the, uh, in the hospital. So we've had, you know, open to everyone. So we've had a lot of people and I thought it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. I'm interested to and maybe offline one day talk about your outreach, to the gun, gun club community, because that. That would be a great place to tap into and also for like some of the gun safety education that we do um, through our program. It's that's always like a little scared to approach. Um, You know, I shouldn't be, but you know, it always, I'm always a little uncomfortable with like, you know, sometimes I worry that the the gun owners are going to not be receptive to sort of the prevention stuff, but I've, every time I, I'm proven wrong, every time I get scared to, to approach and try to partner, it always works out well. Just, well, you know, what's interesting is, <clears throat> excuse me, several of the nurses here um, that work in trauma have guns and belong to this gun club. And oh, so they really sort of, you know, brought it forward to the club. And we had more than at least two classes I was out there for helping and, and they were extremely well attended and people were very engaged and, you know, it was really very interesting and, and a nice, nice turnout and everything. So that's one way to um, Mm -hmm. gain entry is, you know, do some member, but yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was it was great, for sure. And then you're right that to um, partner and, and then follow up with fi- safe firearm storage is just, you know, such a need. And um, even the ACS, you know, came out with their book, their book on firearm safety and trying to spread the word and, and you know, get the firearms and the ammunition stored separately and up and away and out of sight and it's it's a challenge and, it, Preach, and it's yes it's up away unlocked it unloaded <laughs> right right i right. did forget to mention one of the cool things about stop the bleed that happened kind of organically was that a student organization of unc chapel hill students um i believe i'm looking at their website now it's the unc school of medicine the public health school that's just right across the street and um the our, our department 
my boss, the UNC trauma program, Al Bonfacio, he is their academic or their like student organization advisor. And they have a, um, like a club where they were training and doing campus trainings. So like medical students were going and doing it for like undergrad students, I believe. And that has been, that was nice, not only because what a great initiative for campus, but also because it, with their like dedication to it, I know it took a little bit of, um, the onus off of us to to do all of them and we could tap when we got requests we could tap into that group of students and see if they wanted to provide a training so and our educator did the same thing the medical students were incredible mm -hmm. yes. and so, yeah they, yeah it, they have taken and run with it and it's been she could just tell you know schedule it here you go and and they would take it and run with it and it's a huge help and they were great at it and I did teach the other medical students. So yes, that is, it's, that was really lucky for us too. So anyway, well, thank you all so much. And I so appreciate you joining the podcast. And it was so interesting, you know, comparing and contrasting the difference between the level one and level three and, and resources. And, and really there seems so much the same too. You know, we're all mm -hmm. looking for funding. We're all looking for, um, partners in, in injury prevention. So mm -hmm. it, it, that was interesting to find out. Absolutely. Thank so. you for asking me. Thank you, um, Megan. Yeah. For, for oh, you're welcome. Tag teaming with me. And this was fun, y'all. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I just mentioned if anyone, um, you know, wants to connect, email me at lindsay.bailey at unchealth.unc.edu. I'd be happy to collaborate, you know, share resources, best practices, commiserate about the frustrations, what whatnot. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.